It will benefit you as a leader to have a healthy amount of skepticism and to apply critical thinking in whatever you do, especially listening to a show like this, right? I hope you agree. I hope these ideas challenge you that we talk about within the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast conversations. But don't take everything as truth. You know, test the ideas, see that they create results and work for you. And if they do, awesome. We're building more trust in a relationship. And you know, this is your go-to source for, I guess, mobile, asynchronous, professional development. That's one reason, right? If we can agree why the BLBS podcast is in the top 0.5% of nearly 3 million global shows. Now, the reason I brought up skepticism and critical thinking is that you should not trust, right, a coach who doesn't have a coach. Or you shouldn't join a mastermind if the people leading a mastermind aren't part of a mastermind. And that context is important because today's guest, Everett Hendrickson, I met him in one of the masterminds I'm a part of. Right now, I'm a part of three masterminds. And he heard his like spidey sense went off. Oh, Danny has this podcast in education. I actually work with schools. And so I started talking to Everett. Well, what do you do? And you're going to love it. He's got this thing called the Flex Farm. And you'll hear about it on the show. But it's so cool because students grow fruit and veg in the classroom. Real stuff. It could be organic and they can eat it. It's like farm the table in the classroom. Some districts have even stopped buying lettuce and other fruits and vegetables because they grow it now within their school with the use of Flex Farm. So we're going to explore what that thing is, but we're also going to talk about important, you know, the underlying topics like why a connection to food and food sources are good, especially for students who live in urban settings that have, uh, what do they call them, Um, food deserts, right? Because they don't have grocery stores and that kind of stuff is accessible. But believe it or not, uh, Everett's seen the Flex Farm and the connection from to the food source, excuse me, uh, work even in rural settings. For me, that that was sort of an assumption. I thought those kids were already connected to food. Well, not so, according to Everett. So, Lots of cool stuff to learn. You, we also talk about authentic learning, right? And what some teachers are doing uh, with the Flex Farm in their classroom. But I'm so glad you're here. And thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show that we create for ruckus makers, which is you, an out-of-the-box leader making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully drive school change and help your diverse stakeholders establish priorities and improve practice in leading change. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading change runs from October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by September 30th and roll by October 6th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During covid Every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, 
who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Well, hello, Ruckus Maker. I am thrilled today to be joined with a, a new colleague and friend. We're in, we're in the same mastermind, and so maybe we'll talk about that potentially in the show too. But that's how I met Everett Hendrickson with Echo Supply LLC, who has been in agriculture for 20 plus years. With an early career in law and then business management, Everett believes he found what he wants to be when he grows up, someone who feeds people. Whether that means giving fresh produce from his micro farm or educating others on the benefits of growing real food, his mission is to connect as many as possible to their food source. Everett, welcome to the show. Danny, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to know you since I since I ever met you. So thank you so much for this opportunity to have this conversation and talk to your audience. Well, whenever I get to have people that I actually know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's few and far between. Sometimes I get a lot of pitches for the show, but I'm just excited to to share your story because you're somebody that people need to know. And uh, this connection, you know, with your mission to connect people with their food source and the interesting ways we can do that in classrooms, I think. I know my audience in the Ruckus Maker Nation is going to love to hear. But before we, we get to all that, listen, you grew up in manufacturing. And as your bio states, you're in law, then business. And then you got connected to agriculture. Like, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? I need to hear that story. So for me, it really just started with my grandmother. And it sounds like I'm starting at the very beginning of a very long story, but I promise to make it quick and concise and effective. For, for the audience and what we're talking about. So my grandmother was born in 1914. Uh, she was a family, she of, there were six sisters. So family of eight, extremely religious, religiously devout family in rural Appalachia. And I say all that to frame it in the fact that in the thirties, a young woman from a religiously devout family of this size had a path that was pretty much carved out for them. Mm. whether they liked it or not. And most of them, most young women at that time would acquiesce. My grandmother, to me in my world, the original ruckus maker, she did not right. choose that path, yeah. right? She went to college. She was the first one of her entire family to have ever gone to college. She wow. got a finance degree. She got a job. So in, in all of that, in that culture was kind of unheard of uh, from a young woman. So after college, she gets married uh, she has a child. My grandfather gets drafted into World War II. And so now she's a married single mom. And my mm -hmm. uncle was probably three years old at the time. So mother of a very young child. And she starts to make some very unique life choices at that time for her. And I say these are life choices because as it, as it turns out, it sounds very typical, but there was an intent behind it. My grandfather comes back from the war He's a broken man. Uh, he's not alcoholic or abusive, but PTSD is what we would call it now. Back then, they called it being a veteran. So, um, but that means that my grandmother now has a, a more of a burden in the family to carry. Okay. He does get a job at Union Carbide shoveling coal in the, in the furnace every day. He did that for 30 years until he retired. But, and he was a productive part of society. He was a very influential man only as well. But my grandmother is a very frugal woman. She had the finance degree. She understands she hates debt. That's not in her vocabulary. 
my grandfather will spend every red cent in his pocket on any shiny thing that he sees coming along. She manages, she takes the reins of the finances of the family. Again, not culturally the way it was done then, but she saves up money and she buys a piece of land. And by then my mother's born. Uh, this piece of land has a, a house that's half fallen in, has a barn. It's 130 acres of mostly forest and hills, but she starts a vineyard. She starts an orchard. She has livestock. She has a one acre vegetable garden. Uh, in modern terms, we call this a homestead farm. She fed her family of four and many others in her community um, out of a passion for what she wanted to do. When, when my grandmother would put food on the table, her face was beaming. And it was extremely important to her, especially to feed her children and then later her grandchildren. And she had a passion for education. She had a passion for life. She had a passion for growing food and providing food. And that really, you know, set the tone for her whole entire life. And one other story about her, when I was in my mid-teens, and it really started to define things in my life at that time, was she ran across a perfect stranger. Uh, and this was a single mother of three. Um, apparently, there was no other support. So that's why we say single. I don't know. Again, this was a stranger, but she was a mother of three young ones, and she was sick as a dog, whether it was with the flu or some other nasty virus. My grandmother and these kids, according to my grandmother, were running around like animals out of a cage. Okay. She drops everything she's doing. She goes home, and she makes a massive pot of soup. And Danny, let me tell you, I don't like soup, but my grandmother made delicious soup. Okay. She takes this pot of soup to this woman. She finds out where she lives and she brings it to her and says, your kids need to eat. And at that moment, I, when I heard this story and I processed it, this account, I knew that if I could be half the man that my grandmother was, I would be a productive part of the society and I would bring benefit to my community. But I didn't really connect that until, like you said, during the intro, law and business management. Business management led me by way of accident to agriculture. And I found myself as a general manager of a tomato farm. And then it clicked inside of me. This, whether it was the DNA she passed on to me or just that raw admiration, I love to feed people. And I have a passion for it. And when I was able to look at forming a career around that passion, then things in my life and the, and the definitions around what I defined were very different. And um, so that's the ruckus maker story of my life with my grandmother and how I came to be in agriculture and why it fuels me every day um, to do something productive for myself and my community. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And the grandma there was certainly a ruckus maker, right? Uh, um going against the grain of many norms, you know, during the day, especially within our community. And then to uh, take the lead in terms of finances, starting this farm that's feeding her family and others around it. And, uh, you know, just doing things that are great out of service, right? Helping out strangers and that kind of thing. I can see why you admire her so much. So awesome, awesome story. And I uh, appreciate you sharing that. And so you you have this connection that's very real with food, right? And these stories that have been passed down. Uh, but not everybody has that, right? I grew up in Palatine, Illinois, right? 30 minutes northwest of uh, Chicago. The freshest food 
anybody from Chicago is going to appreciate this joke. I'm already laughing about it. The freshest food, right, that we grow in Palatine is from Portillo's. So to all my <laughs> Chicago listeners, like they actually have that in Florida now. So I don't know if you're aware of Portillo's, but uh, anyways, it, it's a it's a fast food place, but it's like really delicious. Oh. Okay. All right. So it's not... Yeah, it's not it's not fresh. It's not farm to table at all. Okay, and it's not good for you either. Like you remember SNL and the the, the Chicago Bears guys, and you know oh, they, yeah. they got that's why right deep dish pizza things like Portillos and the beer like that's that's why Chicago people look that way and have those health uh, health issues. Okay, so I bring that context in because I was I've been disconnected from the food source right and what we put on the table. Uh, for for mo- most of my life, and I would say maybe uh, it wasn't until you know moving to Belgium and Netherlands and Scotland where there's just so much farm. You know, there's smaller places; it's all condensed, and so we, we saw that kind of stuff that I started to understand it and care more. You know, care more. But I, I'd love for you to talk on. You know, what do you think is that impact? Right? Like I could I could share. It doesn't matter. This this is about you, but. What do you see in terms of the impact of people's disconnect from food? Well, it's, it's something that, you know, it's like, it's the pot of boiling water, you know, that the frog is in. He doesn't really realize he's in trouble until it's, it's started to boil. It's kind of where we've come to uh, since the last agricultural revolution, which was World War II, right after World War II, in that, you know, back then, and, and I use my grandmother as the perfect example, I have a direct connection to a food source, right? I know how food was raised. My summers were spent with her doing that and all the rest of it. I believe the statistic is 40 years ago or 50 years ago, rather 90% of the population had that connection, whether it was removed or not, you still had that one generational connection. Now it's down to something like 3%. Mm, From 90 to 3%. We've, we've become disconnected and we, and I can do the research and get back to you on those numbers and where they come from. But that disconnect really, when, when I look at it from the context of schools and children, yeah, right. when we connect kids to growing food, um, it's much like music. I, I was, I was raised uh, playing the violin and what I did not realize and what I, I just found out a few years ago is Learning a stringed instrument or learning any instrument, but specifically stringed instruments, teaches your brain math and you don't even know it. And so with uh, growing food, you're teaching your brain emotional intelligence and you don't even know it. And you get kids connected into their food. There's a you raise self-worth, you raise confidence, um, self-esteem. They're proud of something that they don't specifically know why. Um, and there's other research that connects kids to food, showing them growing these, the, the, using these systems to grow in the, in the classroom that shows how that they're the attention on food. I'll just read you the statistics. Okay. In this study in the Kinesha uh, school district, it was in, in conjunction with the Brown County Health Department and Goodwill Industries of North Central Wisconsin. They followed fourth graders for a year and they surveyed them post and pre and all that. And the bottom line is there was a 33, in, 33% increase in the consumption of fresh vegetables mm. and a 46% increase in the positive perception of fresh vegetables. Understanding that most kids, rural or otherwise, even in the cities or cities or even in rural areas, really don't know where food comes from. 
especially produce. And so they, you know, they go to the grocery store and get it. Well, that food at the grocery store is not going to be as tasty as something you pick on your own. And that's for various reasons. And we can go down different rabbit holes there, but when they grow it themselves and they eat it, you know, in this specific one, the anecdotal uh, accounts that came out of that study was they, they, the kids would harvest, they'd have about a gallon bag full of lettuce. Each kid did of their own that they raised. Many of them ate it on the bus on the way home. It didn't even make it. It didn't even make it home. Right. That, you know, huh? You can't even get kids to eat vegetables at the cafeteria. Now they're just doing it out of free will voluntarily on the bus. Yeah, wow, right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's oh. shocking because you know I've obviously wor- worked in uh, cafeterias, uh, leading schools, and being a teacher, and that I mean, one the way uh, vegetables can even be sometimes uh, categorized is is a shame. Honestly, like tomato sauce on a pizza is not a vegetable. All right, really, and that's that's sad. And then when we think about like health outcomes and implications and connections to the source of food and then the, the positive, right? When they are connected, you said confidence, self-esteem, this kind of stuff. Um, you know, we're really, that's a disservice to our kids. So I would see them, they just toss it. Right. And the, I think the biggest, I don't know. I mean, I don't have research, What my gut tells me the assertion I want to make is that they toss it because it probably didn't taste that good. Most likely because it wasn't fresh, right. Probably been cans, frozen, you know, pack preservatives and all this kind of stuff. But if you grow in the lettuce in the class, right? And we'll, we'll start talking about flex farm, but you say kids are, they're smashing bags of lettuce on the way home on the bus. And it doesn't eat like, that's interesting. Like what? Seriously? Kids loving lettuce. So, all right, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, flex farm. Cause that's, that's something that, that, you know, you offer schools and uh, it's doing some really interesting thing in classes. Um, and we'll talk about that too. But first, can you just describe how, how a flex farm gets kids excited about food? Okay. Well, that's a great question. So the flex farm stands about the size of the standard refrigerator um, in a three by three area. It's an enclosed clamshell with a light in the middle and it, um, it raises food by aeroponics. So it's trickling water over the roots 24 hours a day, a little pump runs. It's literally just two plugs, a light and a pump, and it turns on. The kids will germinate seeds. Uh, It depends on the teacher, right? And there's a full base curriculum that comes with it. So it depends on what grade and what subject you're teaching, whether you're in STEM or agriculture or language arts or whatever, they'll raise the seedlings. They'll put them into the farm. And then they track them. They test the water to make sure it's got the right pH and the right nutrition levels. Uh, and within a month's time, they have a harvest. Really? And so we have a 30-day turnaround. Now, there's also an online platform that the teachers are introduced to when they, when they get their own farm that is a, a, a group of other teachers with the same technology. Gotcha. Or hydroponics and, and they're sharing tips and tricks and all the rest of it. One of my favorite stories that comes out of that is a, a science teacher. Um, she has a, a farm and in the fall time, she raises pumpkin for the Halloween thing. Right. So yeah. she throws a pumpkin in the top pod. So this, this device has 288 ports. So you can grow up to 288 plants, 144 comfortably. But if you're doing herbs, you can do, you can do more. Anyway, in the top right port, she puts a pumpkin. 
and you think to yourself, pumpkins, if you know anything about food, pumpkins have vines that go forever. Yeah. And so what I know was, nothing about food. So all, all I think about is a pumpkin's huge. Yeah. Pumpkins are big, right? Yeah. And you yeah. have small pumpkins and you okay. have big, large award-winning pumpkins. We're talking about small to medium pumpkins. Okay. Puts a pumpkin plant in, and this thing is going to vine everywhere. So you would think for production purposes, not not effective, but for what she's doing, and more importantly, what her neighbor is doing in the classroom next to her. Okay. So they have, you know, they're partners in crime, so to speak. And what they do is they pop out the ceiling tiles. Right. One tile in her room and one tile in his room, and they vine this thing over up into his room. And he's teaching the grade level above. And he actually uses it to teach sex ed with pollination. And so then they raise pumpkins and all the rest of it. And it's, and it's a great thing for both classes and, and fun and exciting and all that. So there's many unique different ways that, you know, an engaged educator is going to find to teach their kids, uh, their classrooms about this, whether you're in entrepreneurship, like I said before, whether you're in the STEM you know, most of the curriculum is based around science, technology, education, and math. But there are some activities and badging programs and other things that, that go along with that. Uh, but that's what it is. It's, it's quite simple. It sits in the corner of a room. We also have technology that sits on a wall. Uh, if you want something smaller that is a little bit less intrusive, you can do that um, and grow a variety of things there, too. And it's not just lettuce. Lettuce grows the quickest, and it grows most effectively and, and abundantly, and you can get a, a harvest within a month's time, but it grows more than that, right? You can do tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and pumpkins and different things. That's really interesting. And then my mind starts thinking about the implications of uh, how, how do you make that, you know, available in the school cafeteria and to families. And man, that you know, and that's just one farm with 200 plus pods, right? Which is going to have a, an incredible yield of, of uh, veg, fresh veg for folks. And so you had so, a couple of those in the school, like, whoa, what, what could you really do? It's pretty cool. Exactly. And it's on wheels too. So if you need yep. to take it to PTA to show off what you've done, or you want to, you want to take it to um, the English, the English class to do their English arts deal. Um, it's also, you take it to the cafeteria to clean it too, because the panels come out and they go to dishwasher, they cleaned yep. up and they right back together. But um, there is another school district in uh, Wisconsin and they, they had one of these farms and the director of food services uh, found out about it. Long story short, she installed nine farms in sort of an abandoned area of the basement of one of the schools. Mm-hmm. And they quit buying lettuce three years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, they quit buying lettuce the year before the pandemic. Let me say that. And then the pandemic, obviously they didn't buy hardly any food. Right. The first year, the second year, and now the third year, they're back on full production. But within, within in less than a hundred square feet, in less than a hundred square feet, they're raising enough lettuce to provide the entire school district. E- each individual school educator administrator will find that they want to do something different with this. It's not just a one thing that you know, one trick pony, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you know, and last thing I'll say before the break, this just uh, it. it there's the connection to food source, which is awesome. There's all the varieties of produce you can uh, grow, but it's it's real learning. You know what I mean? It's not just learning in a book, and we call that authentic learning and uh, you know project based learning. There's so many applications that uh, people could utilize with a flex farm. I, I think this is an awesome, awesome tool for any uh, savvy ruckus maker. That's uh, 
that's getting excited, as excited as I am. So let's pause here, Everett, for just some quick messages from our sponsors. When we get back, I want to talk about kids who are concerned about climate change and how FlexFarm explores and addresses this. Learn how to successfully drive school change and help your diverse stakeholders establish priorities and improve practice in leading change. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include adaptive leadership, culture, equity, and more. Leading Change runs from October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by September 30th. Enroll by October 6th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, we're back with Everett Hendrickson from Echo Supply LLC. We've been talking about uh, his incredible ruckus-making grandma and his connection to food and how that passion has led him to Echo Supply and how they have this awesome resource for classes and schools and districts called a flex farm. So, yes, college kids for sure. Younger kids, for sure, they really care about climate change. This is uh, maybe one of their top top issues, right? They, they're wondering, is the world going to be around or what's the quality of life going to be like and that kind of thing. And yeah, I'm curious if Flex Farm addresses that issue at all or explores it. Absolutely. Um, and that's really part of where the foundation for it from the owners and the inventors uh, side really came from was... First of all, they were inner city. Uh, the, the founder and inventor of the Flex Farm was actually an opera singer who <laughs> was struggling to make a living. And he was living in an apartment in New York City. Right. And he didn't buy fresh food. He buy plenty of ramen and pasta, but not fresh food. And so he decided to grow on his own. Fast forward, now we have the Flex Farm. But climate change is a huge deal, right? Because it, it, is, it is the existential problem that we have all of us around the world. And agriculture has played a role in that. Um, but more importantly, you know, the past doesn't equal the future. So what we've done in the past, it is done. And the, the conditions that we have is what we have. And field production, especially for fruits and, veg and vegetables, is becoming more and more difficult because of the changing climate. You have mo more, more than just increasing heat it is the increasing uh, disasters that we have, floods, droughts, 
hurricanes, tornadoes, hailstorms, and they're wiping out instead of just a corner of the field or one field, they're wiping out entire areas of stuff. Um, furthermore, our culture, our, the way the capitalist society worked after World War II in the grocery store system, you have like a whole valley in, in the Carolinas that grows nothing but blueberries. You have a whole area of Georgia that grows just blueberries as far as fresh produce goes. You have a, an area in Florida that just grows strawberries. And for a good four to five months, most of all the strawberries on the East Coast come out of Plant City, Florida. That monoculture system, which is kind of added to this, this issue that we have, is also, it needs to be changed for us to effectively produce fresh food moving forward because we can't afford to lose one crop year over year. We have to do, we have to be more diverse. And so the pandemic kind of hastened that as well. It brought on the obvious fragility of our supply chain, especially with fresh food. And so for me, pivoting indoors was the natural uh, pivot because in fresh fruits and vegetables, the large sector of this is moving indoors because the climate is not as conducive to growing as it used to be, number one. And number two, the carbon footprint that we have the potential to eliminate by indoor farming is huge. And we need to give our soil time to rehabilitate. And we need to do it through, we need to be active in rehabilitating it. We don't just want to let it sit and move it and let it be barren. Um, but also moving fruits and vegetables inside will also allow us to grow different things on that land That's, that is productive. And so when you think of carbon footprint, when you think of uh, different uh, emissions and all the rest of it, Indoor farming uh, is on the cusp of the agricultural revolution that we're currently in right now, uh, globally. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so connection to your source, growing all this produce, uh, authentic learning and addressing climate change. Like what's not to like about this flex farm? It's awesome. So I believe you can go to ecosupply-us.com to get more information uh, is there anything else that, that we should have covered or missed regarding the Flex Farm before I move to my questions I ask all my guests? No, I, I think we covered it all as far right. as I can know. Brilliant. So, Everett, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a day, what would that message read? I, I would say feed, your, feed others by feeding yourself. Feed others by feeding yourself. Nice. And I mean that, and that's a marquee, right? But that has way, I mean, the definitions, you educate sure. yourself by educating. You're feeding your mind, then you can feed others. You feed your body, you can feed others. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I, it popped in my head. We should probably talk real quick about masterminds. People listen, unless it's their first time listening to this show, they know that I serve school leaders in that way. And uh, we met in, in the ALF mastermind. Uh, and that's, um, that's a really awesome experience, I would say, but could you, could you describe, you know, I don't know if that's the only mastermind you've been a part of, if you've been a part of others and just what, what is the value of participating in a community like that from, from your perspective? It, a community like that, because it is online and we're getting people from all over the world, literally the perspectives that you're able to grab from that is just amazing. And it, and it can reframe the challenge that you have in a way that makes the solution quite obvious. So to me, a, a mastermind of, of the level you're talking about, that's really what it provides. And I have been involved with many other groups, 
coaching groups and what have you for personal reasons and business reasons. But um, that's what it brings to the table, a community of that nature. When you're pulling out, you know, if you go to your to I go to the county school board, my, my county school board has the experience of Sarasota County <laughs> and whatever the school board members might bring to that. But if you're getting a group from across the nation or from across the world and you're getting thought leaders out of that put into that room to discuss the very same things, the solutions are going to be not only more prolific, but they're going to be more targeted to what we can do to, to solve the, the challenge that we have. Yeah, that's that's one of the best values for me is that global perspective and then just getting so many different tools, right, and approaches to solving a problem. Uh, you really have to work hard to not implement solutions, right, to be effective. Like, you're just going to grow. That's the, At the end of the day, you're going to level up. And one thing I, I want to announce really quick, it is self-serving. Uh, in the respect that I want to talk about how I serve school leaders, um, if we could just diverge for a second. But I'm very excited. Uh, we're recording this June, and this is going to release you know, in the fall. So by the time this is out, uh, we are shoring up. And right now, all our masterminds are sort of North American focused in terms of time zones. And we are going to be launching. It's happening. It's going to happen this summer. So by the time this is live, it will have happened. Uh, uh, African and European time zone, because if they want to participate, listen, I did this living in Netherlands, Belgium, and in uh, Scotland, I felt the pain, right? Doing masterminds from 11 p.m. to like two in the morning. That's not so, that's not, so, you know, that's not so fun. It's not so cool. So to have ones that work for schedules there, that's awesome. We're excited to offer that. And we'll be working to, to get one that works for, you know, like Australia sort of region as well in the future. Okay. Enough about us. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, I guess the last thing I will say, I am, I am more like fired up these days about this just cause to connect, grow and mentor every school leader who wants to level up. It's permission, right? They have to pick themselves. Uh, but I am going to do my darndest to make this opportunity available to all that want to do it. And I, I just have this, this vision of, changing the landscape of education through supporting school leaders in the way we do. And that's, that's what I want my legacy to be. And uh, it's happening. So it's, it's a fun, it's, yeah, it's a fun ripple effect to have in the universe. Okay. So let's talk about building your dream school, Everett. You know, if you could build your dream school, this is a thought experiment. So you're not, you're not, you know, you don't have any sort of resources as a limitation. Your only limitation is actually you. It's your imagination. So how would Everett build his dream school? What would be your three guiding principles? Uh, what you don't know about me is my limit. My imagination is my limitation, but no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for me, my dream school, obviously, uh, to, to the talking point we're talking here, right? It would have a working farm. Yeah. It would have a working farm that wasn't just teaching kids about a certain type of animal behavior or anything else, but it would be something that would be a community service. It would have a robust music program and arts um, programming uh, in the, in the, in the school. And it would have something I don't find in schools anywhere, which is a, a curriculum based on emotional intelligence, something I referred to earlier and really teaching our kids why they experience the emotions they do, how to gain control of them, how to empower themselves um, with those things and with the education that they're receiving. I also heard a podcast that you mentioned or that was on your archives about, uh, they mentioned just briefly that in Japan, they don't have custodians because the kids do all the 
cleanup. Right, right. I would definitely implement that because that's <laughs> part the, that's part of that working farm mentality too, right? Yeah, yeah. Have skin in the game. Everything is respected more, and so when you're taught about food, you're going to respect your food more. You're going to be more connected to it. You're going to savor it more. All the rest of it, whether you end up growing food or not. And the principles behind my school, really, it comes down to the principles of eco-supply. I don't mean that to be cheesy because I did give this some thought. And I've never thought about building a dream school. It would be people, passion, and planet. That's our mission at eco-supply. And so for us, it would be about feeding people. And by feeding people, we're feeding our passion. And when we feed passion, we can give back to the planet. Yeah, love that. So we covered a lot of ground of everything we discussed today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? The one thing I want a ruckus maker to remember is grow today. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.